A Condensation of the World's First Love by Fulton J. Sheen Dedicated to the woman I love, the woman whom even God dreamt of before the world was made, the woman of whom I was born at cost of pain and labor at the cross, the woman who, though no priest, could yet on Calvary's hill breathe, This is my body, this is my blood. For none save her gave his human life. The woman who guides my pen, which falters so with words, in telling of the word. The woman who, in a world of reds, shows forth the blue of hope. Except these dried grapes of thoughts, from this poor author, who has no wine, and with Cana's magic and thy son's power, work a miracle and save a soul, forgetting not my own. Chapter 1. The Woman the World Loves 1. Love begins with a dream. Every person carries within his heart a blueprint of the one he loves. What seems to be love at first sight is actually the fulfillment of desire, the realization of a dream. Plato, sensing this, said that all knowledge is a recollection from a previous existence. This is not true, as he states it, but it is true if one understands it to mean that we already have an ideal in us on which is made by our thinking, our habits, our experiences, and our desires. Otherwise, how would we know immediately on seeing persons or things that we love them? Before meeting a certain person, we already have a pattern and mold of what we like and what we do not like. Certain persons fit into that pattern, others do not. When we hear music for the first time, we either like or dislike it. We judge it by the music we already have heard in our own hearts. Jittery minds, which cannot long repose in one object of thought or in continuity of an ideal, love music which is distracting, excited, and jittery. Calm minds like calm music. The heart has its own secret melody, and one day, when the score is played, the heart answers. This is it. So it is with love. A tiny architect works inside the human heart drawing sketches of ideal love from the people it sees, from books it reads, from its hopes and daydreams, in the fond hope that the eye may one day see the ideal and the hand touch it. Life becomes satisfying the moment the dream is seen walking and the person appears as the incarnation of all that one loved. The liking is instantaneous, because actually it was there waiting for a long time. Some go through life without ever meeting what they call their ideal. This could be very disappointing if the ideal never really existed. But the absolute ideal of every heart does exist, and it is God. All human love is an intuition into the eternal. Some find the ideal in substance without passing through the shadow. God, too, has within himself blueprints of everything in the universe, as the architect has in his mind a plan of the house before the house is built. So God has in his mind an archetypical idea of every flower, bird, tree, springtime, and melody. There never was a brush touched to canvas nor a chisel to marble without some great pre-existing idea. 
so too every atom and every rose is a realization and a creation of an idea existing in the mind of God from all eternity. All creatures below man correspond to the pattern. God had is in his mind. A tree is truly a tree because it corresponds to God's idea of a tree. A rose is a rose because it is God's idea of a rose wrapped up in chemicals and tints and life. But it is not so with persons. God has to have two pictures of us. One is what we are, and the other is what we ought to be. He has the model, and he has the reality, the blueprint and the edifice, the score of the music, and the way we play it. God has to have these two pictures because in each and every one of us there is some dis disproportion and want of conformity between the original plan and the way we have worked it out. The image is blurred, the print is faded. For one thing, our personality is not complete in time. We need a renewed body. Then, too, our sins diminish our personality, our evil acts dub the canvas of the master hand designed. Like unhatched eggs, some of us refuse to be warmed by the divine love, which is so necessary for incubation to a higher level. We are in constant need of repairs. Our free acts do not coincide with the law of our being. We fall short of all God wants us to be. St. Paul tells us that we were predestined before the foundation of the world were laid to become the sons of God, but some of us will not fulfill that hope. There is actually only one person in all humanity of whom God has one picture and in whom there is a perfect conformity between what he wanted her to be and what she is, and that is his own mother. Most of us are a minus sign in the sense that we do not fulfill the high hopes of Heavenly Father has for us, but Mary is the equal sign, the ideal that God had of her, that she is, and in the flesh. The model, the copy, are perfect. She is all that was foreseen, planned, and dreamed. The melody of her life is played just as it was written. Mary was thought, conceived, and planned as the equal sign between idea and history. Thought and reality, hope and realization. That is why, through the centuries, Christian liturgy has applied to her the words of the book of Proverbs, because she is what God wanted us all to be. She speaks of herself as the eternal blueprint in the mind of God, the one whom God loved before she was a creature. She is even pictured as being with him, not only at creation, but before creation. She existed in the divine mind as an eternal thought before there were any mothers. She is the mother of mothers. She is the world's first love. The world possessed me in the beginning of its ways, before he made anything from the beginning. It was set up from eternity of old, before the earth was made. The depths were not as yet, and I was already conceived. Neither had the foundations of waters as yet sprung out. The mountains, with their huge bulk, had not as yet been established. Before the hills I was brought forth. He had not yet made the earth, nor the rivers, nor the poles of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was present. 
when with a certain law and compass he enclosed the depths, when he established the sky above, and poised the fountains of waters, when he compassed the sea with its bounds, and set a law to the waters, that they would not pass their limits, when he balanced the foundations of the earth, I was with him, forming all things, and was delighted every day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, and my delight were to be with the children of men. When therefore ye children hear me, blessed are they that keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, and that watcheth daily at my gates, and waiteth at the posts of my doors. He that shall find me shall find life, and shall have salvation from the Lord. Proverbs eight twenty two and 35 But God not only thought of her in eternity, he also had her in his mind at the beginning of time. In the beginning of history, when the human race fell through the solicitation of a woman, God spoke to the devil and said, I will establish a feud between thee and the woman, between thy offsprings and hers. She is to crush thy head, while thou dost lie in wait for her heel. Genesis 3.15 God was saying that if it is by a woman that man fell, it would be through the woman that God would take revenge. Whoever his mother would be, she would certainly be blessed among women, and because God himself chose her, he would see to it that all generations would call her blessed. When God willed to become man, he had to decide on the time of his coming, the country in which he would be born, the city in which he would be raised, the people, the race, the political and economic systems which would surround him, the language he would speak, and the psychological attitudes in which he would come in contact as the Lord of history and the salvation uh, and the Savior of the world. Of these details would depend entirely on one factor. The woman would be his mother. To choose a mother is to choose a social position, a language, a city, an environment, a crisis, and a destiny. His mother was not like ours, whom we accepted as something historically fixed, which we could not change. He was born of a mother whom he chose before he was born. It is the only instance in history where both the son willed the mother and the mother willed the son. And this is what the creed means when it says, Born of the Virgin Mary, she was called by God as Aaron was, and our Lord was born not just of her flesh, but by her consent. Before taking unto himself a human nature, he consulted with the woman to ask her if she would give him a man. The manhood of Jesus was not stolen from humanity as Prometheus stole fire from heaven. It was given as a gift. The first man, Adam, was made from the slime of the earth. The first woman was made from the man in an ecstasy. The new Adam, Christ, comes from the new Eve, Mary, in an ecstasy of prayer and love of God and the fullness of freedom. We should not be surprised that she is spoken of as thought by God before the world was made. When Whistler painted the picture of his mother, did he not have the image of her in his mind before he ever gathered his colors on his palette? If you could have pre-existed your mother, 
not art artistically, but really, would you not have made her the most perfect woman that ever lived, one so beautiful she would have been the sweet envy of all women, and no so and one so gentle and so merciful that all other mothers would have sought to imitate her virtue? Why then should we think that God would do otherwise? When Whistler was complimented on the portrait of his mother, he said, You know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as nice as he can. When God became man, I believe that he too would make his mother as nice as he could, and that would make her a perfect mother. God never does anything without exceeding preparation. The two great masterpieces of God are creation of man and recreation or redemption of man. Creation was made for unfallen man, his mystical body for fallen man. Before making man, God made a garden of delights, as God alone knows how to make a garden beautiful. In the paradise of creation, there was a celebration, the first nuptials of a man and woman. But man willed not to have blessings except according to his lower nature. Not only did he lose his happiness, he even wounded his own mind and will. Then God planned the remaking or redeeming of man. But before doing so, he would make another garden. This new one would not be of earth, but of flesh. He would be a garden over whose portals the name of sin would never be written, a garden in which there would grow a new weeds of rebellion to choke the growth of the flowers of grace, a garden from which there would flow four rivers of redemption to the four corners of the earth, a garden so pure that the Heavenly Father would not blush at sending his own Son into it. And this flesh-girt paradise to be gardened by the Adam knew was our Blessed Mother. As Eden was the paradise of creation, Mary is the paradise of the Incarnation, and in her, as a garden was celebrated, the first nuptials of God and man, the closer one gets to fire, the greater the heat, the closer one is to God, the greater the purity. But since no one was ever closer to God than the woman whose human portals he threw open to walk this earth, then no one could have been more pure than she. A garden bower in flower grew waiting for God's hand. There no man ever trod. This was the gate of God. The first bower was red, her lips which welcome said. The second bower was blue, her eyes that let God through. The third bower was white, her soul in God's sight. Three bowers of love, now Christ from heaven above. Lawrence Hausman This special purity of hers was called the Immaculate Conception. It is not the virgin birth. The word immaculate is taken from two Latin words meaning not stained. Conception means that at the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Mother in the womb of her mother, St. Anne, and in virtue of the anticipated merits of the redemption of her son, was preserved free from stain of original sin. I never could see why anyone in the world, and this day and age, should object to the Immaculate Conception. All modern pagans believe that they are immaculately conceived. 
If there is no original sin, then everyone is immaculately conceived. Why do they shrink from allowing Mary that they attribute to themselves? The doctrine of original sin and the immaculate conception are mutually exclusive. If Mary alone is the immaculate conception, then the rest of us must have original sin. The Immaculate Conception does not imply that Mary needed no redemption. She needed it as much as you and I do. She was redeemed in advance by way of prevention in both body and soul, and in the first instant of conception. She received the fruits of redemption in our soul at baptism. The whole human race needs redemption. But Mary was desoldierized and separated from the sin-laden humanity as a result of the merits of our Lord's cross being offered to her at the moment of her conception. If we exempted her from the needs of redemption, we would also have to exempt her from the membership in humanity. The Immaculate Conception, therefore, in no way implies that she needed no redemption. She did. Mary is the first effect of the redemption in the sense that it was applied to her at the moment of her conception and to us in another and diminished fashion only after our birth. She had this privilege not for her sake, but for his sake. That is why those who do not believe in the divinity of Christ can see no reason for the special privilege accorded to Mary. If I did not believe in the divinity of our Lord, which God avert, I should see nothing but nonsense in any special reverence given to Mary above the other women on earth. But if she is the mother of God who became man, then she is unique, and then she stands out as the new Eve of humanity, as he is the new Adam. There had to be some such creature as Mary, otherwise God would have found no one in whom he could fittingly have taken his human origin. An honest polit politician seeking civic reforms looks about for honest assistance. The Son of God, beginning a new creation, searched for some of that goodness which existed before sin took over. There would have been in some minds a doubt about the power of God if he had not shown a special favor to the woman who was to be his mother. Certainly, what God gave to Eve, he would not refer to his own mother. Suppose that God, in making over man, did not also make over women into a new Eve. What a howl of protest would have gone up! Christianity would have been denounced, as are all male religions. Women who would then have searched for a female religion, it would have been argued that woman was always the slave of man, and even God intended her to be such, since he refused to make the new Eve, as he made the new Adam. Had there been no immaculate conception, then Christ would have been said to be less beautiful, for he would have taken his body from one who was not humanly perfect, there ought to be an infinite separation between God and sin, but there would not have been if there was not one woman who could crush the cobra's head. If you were an artist, would you allow someone to prepare your canvas with dubs? Then why should God be expected 
to act differently. When he prepares to unite to himself a human nature like ours, in all things save sin, but having lifted up one woman by preserving her from sin, and then having her freely ratify that gift at the Annunciation, God gave hope to our disturbed, neurotic, and weak humanity. Oh yes, he is our model, and he is also the person of God. There ought to be, on the human level, someone who would give human hope, someone who could lead us to Christ, someone who would meditate, who would mediate between us and Christ, as he mediates between us and the Father. One look at her, and we know that a human who is not God can become better. One prayer to her, and we know that because she is without sin, we can become less sinful. And that brings us back to the beginning. We have said that everyone carries within his heart a blueprint of his ideal love, the best of human loves, no matter how devoted they be, must end, and there is nothing perfect that ends. If there be any one of whom it is possible to say, this is the last embrace, then there is no perfect love. Hence some ignore the divine may try to have a multiplicity of loves make up for the ideal love. But this is like saying that to render a musical masterpiece, one must play a dozen different violins. Every man who pursues a maid, every maid who yearns to be courted, every bond of friendship in the universe seeks a love that is not just her love or his love, but everything that overflows both her and him, which is called our love. Everyone is in love with an ideal love. We all love something more than we love. When the overflow ceases, love stops. As the poet put it, I could not love thee, dear, so much. Loved I not honor more. That ideal love we see beyond all creature love, to which we instinctively turn when flesh love fails, is the same ideal that God had in his heart from all eternity, the lady whom he calls mother. She is the one whom every man loves when he loves a woman. Whether he knew it or not, she is what every woman wants to be when she looks at herself. She is the woman whom every man marries in ideal when he takes a spouse. She is hidden as an ideal in the discontent of every woman with the carnal aggressiveness of man. She is the secret desire every woman has to be honored and fostered. She is the way every woman wants to command respect and love because of the beauty of her goodness of body and soul. This blueprint love whom God loved before the world was made is dream woman before woman were in the one of whom every heart can say in its depths of heart, she is the woman I love. Chapter 2 When Freedom and Love Were One The Annunciation The story of the rebirth of freedom is told in the Gospel of St. Luke. When the sixth month came, God sent the angel Gabriel to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, where a virgin dwelt betrothed to a man of David's lineage. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. Into her presence the angel came and said, Hail, thou who art full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. 
she was much perplexed at hearing him speak so, and cast about her mind what she was to make of such a greeting. Then the angel said to her, Mary, do not be afraid. Thou hast found favor in the sight of God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and men will know him for the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he shall reign over the house of jacob eternally his kingdom shall never have an end but mary said to the angel how can that be since i have no knowledge of man and the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon thee and the power of the most high will overshadow thee Thus the holy thing which is to be born of thee shall be known for the Son of God. The angel Gabriel, as God's spokesman, here asks her if she will freely give the Son of God a human nature, that he may also be the Son of Man. A creature was asked by the Creator if she would freely cooperate with God's plan to take humanity out of the mire and to let him be ravished totally by God. Mary, as first, is troubled as to how she can give God a manhood since she is still a virgin. The angel settles the problem by telling her that God himself, through his Holy Spirit, will work that miracle within her. But from our point of view, there seems to be another difficulty. Mary was chosen by God to be his mother and was even prepared for the honor by being preserved free from the primal sin that had infected all humanity. If she were so prepared, would she be free to accept or reject, and would her answer be the full fruit of her free will? The answer is that her redemption was already completed, but that she had not yet accepted nor ratified it. It was, in a way, something like our dilemma. We are baptized as infants, and our bodies become temples of God. As our souls have been filled with infused virtues, we become not just creatures made by God, but partakers in divine nature. All this is done in baptism before our freedom blossoms, the church standing responsible for our spiritual birth, as our parents did for our physical birth. Later on, however, we ratify that original endowment by the free acts of our moral lives, by receiving the sacraments, by prayers, and by sacrifices. So, too, Mary's redemption was completed as our baptism was completed. But she had not yet accepted, ratified, or confirmed it before she gave her consent to the angel, she was planned for a role in the drama of redemption by God as a child is planned for a musical career by his physical parents, but it was not fulfilled until this moment. The Holy Trinity never possesses a creature without the consent of his will. Then, therefore, Mary had heard how this was to take place. She uttered words which are the greatest pledge of liberty and the greatest character of freedom the world has ever heard. Be it done unto me according to thy word. As in Eden there took place the first espousals of man and woman, so in her there took place the first espousals of God and man, eternity and time, omnipotence and bonds. In answer to the question, Will you give me a man? The marriage ceremony of love became bathed with new depths of freedom. I will. 
and the word was conceived in her. Here then is the freedom of religion. God respects human freedom by refusing to invade humanity and to establish a beast head in time without the free consent of one of his creatures. Freedom of conscience is also involved before Mary could claim as her own the great gift of God. She had to ratify those gifts by an act of the will in the Annunciation, and there is the freedom of a total abandonment to God. Our free will is the only thing that we really own. Our health, our wealth, our power, all these God can take from us, but our freedom he leaves to us, even in hell. Because freedom is our own, it is the only perfect gift that we can make to God. And yet here a creature totally, yet freely, surrendered her will, so that one might say that it was not a matter of Mary's will doing the will of her son, but of Mary's will being lost in that of her son. Later on in his life he would say, If the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. If this be so, then no one has ever been more free than this bell of liberty, the lady who sang the Magnificat. Other mothers know that a new life beats within them through the pulsation within the body. Mary knew that the divine life beat within her through her soul in communion with an angel. Our mothers become conscious of motherhood through physical changes. Mary knew through the message of an angel and the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Nothing that comes from the body is as free as that which comes from the mind. There are mothers who yearn for children, but they have to wait upon processes subject to nature. In Mary alone, a child waited not on nature, but on her acceptance of the divine will. All she had to say was fiat, and she conceived. This is what all birth would have been without sin, a matter of human wills uniting themselves with the divine will. And through the union of body, she sharing in the creation of new life, through the usual process of human generation, the virgin birth is therefore synonymous with the birth of freedom. Mary, we poor creatures of earth, are stumbling over our freedoms, fumbling over our choices. Millions are seeking to give up their freedom, some by repudiating it because of the burden of their guilt, some by surrendering it to the moods and fashions of the time, others by absorption into communism, where there is only one will, which is the dictator's, and where the only love is hate and revolution. We speak much of freedom today, Mary, because we are losing it, just as we speak most of health when we are sick. Thou art the mistress of freedom, because thou dost undo the, f the false freedom that makes men slaves to their passions by pronouncing the word God himself said, when he made light, and again, when the Son redeemed the world, fiat, or be it done unto me according to God's will. As the no of Eve proves that creatures was made by love is therefore free, so thy fiat proves that creature was made for love as well. Teach us then that there is no freedom except in doing out of love what thou didst do in the Annunciation, namely saying yes to what Jesus asks.